brought into the Word. We're going to look at both the passages that were read for us tonight. So if you've got Acts, it would be great to have that open in front of you. Uh, We're going to start in Acts chapter 2, so go back just a little bit from where you just had that reading and you'll be in the right spot. Um, Two things to note tonight. Uh, We'll have a question time after the the sermon, so if you've got questions on the way through, jot them down and uh, we'll take your questions. And we are going to do some uh, creative things tonight. We're going to take the Lord's Supper, uh, which we'll see why that will be a good opportunity to do that tonight in our reading, and we're going to do something creative over there as well and we'll explain that to you um, after I've... Uh, after I preached. But let me pray uh, for God to help us tonight. Heavenly Father, thanks so much for this ancient word. Thanks that it can be read in language we understand. Thanks that you've preserved it all the way through uh, these uh, millennia until tonight. Pray, Father, now that by your Holy Spirit you take this word and that it might be life for us, that it might challenge us and change us and prepare us for all that's ahead. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, tonight, uh, and today in particular, is a special day. Today is a special day. You can tell because we've got balloons and because we're doing some sort of crazy creative thing afterwards. So it must be special. Tell you why it's a special day in the life of our church. Uh, Perhaps we go on about this a little bit, but indulge me just for a moment, okay? This is our church in May. So not April, but in May... uh, 2012. That was all of New Life Anglican Church. We were meeting in, a, in a, a living room just down there on Central Avenue. That was us, the entirety of the church. Uh, three years ago, on this day, the building was open for the first time and we had to be let in through work fencing because the site wasn't actually finished. So the landscaping wasn't finished. It was going to be officially open the next week. And we actually had to come in through all this fencing and the builder actually had to let us in because the site wasn't officially open. Um, He stood at the back overseeing us to make sure that we were safe. Uh, So uh, that was the first service three years ago in this building. Now, it only had six rows of seating laid out. And I think, have one, two, three, four, five, six. I think, Ruby, can you put your hand up? That row back there and the halls, I think you guys are in row six, that's great. Mitchies, you're a little bit further back, but that's okay. We're glad you're here. Uh, but there was, literally only, there was literally only six rows in the church because that was the number of seats we were putting out in the church hall um, across in, at the church hall, the school hall um, across in the public school. And so this was the size of our church three years ago. And then one year ago, a whole bunch of you were here while we launched New Life at Night. And that's the celebration tonight. That's what we're doing. We're celebrating that New Life at Night has been going for one year, which is pretty cool. And it's also the last service today that we're doing our 10 a.m. service before it gets split into two. So today is a really momentous day. And we are celebrating that all the growth that has happened is God's growth. God has been doing the growing of our church. And we are incredibly grateful. We're incredibly grateful. And as we prepare for the next stage, particularly in the morning, but for our whole church, uh, I want to spend some time tonight looking to see what we can learn from the book of Acts and from the growth that they experienced there. So that's what we're going to be doing uh, tonight. Now, uh, does anyone here have perfect eyesight? Perfect eyesight. Raise your hand if you have perfect eyesight. Really? Great work. Some of you don't know. You do? Yeah? Don't wear glasses? Well done. Yeah. And if if you're putting your hand up because you haven't yet had to do the glasses thing, well, well done you. Congratulations. The rest of us can't see that you put your hand up, but that's great. What 
eyes are funny things, right? So they, they get bad slowly, or you were born with them being bad. One of the ways that bad eyes can creep up on us uh, is a thing called cataracts. Have you heard of them? So cataracts is basically a cloudiness that kind of comes into your eye over time. And it's something that you actually don't really realise is happening until all of a sudden you start seeing everything a little bit blurry or the lights at night in particular start to, to, to blur out in your eyes. Now, if you found out that somebody you knew had cataracts and you said to them, tell you what, why don't you just take care of that? What could they do to take care of their own cataracts? Cloudiness in their eyes. In case you're wondering, don't try this at home. There is absolutely nothing that you can do at home. To, it's not Windex on you and have a bit of a go. That's not what's, not what's required. It's, it's something right in the, the cornea of your eyes. Now, if you knew that somebody had cataracts and they could be free from them, but they weren't doing anything about it, what would you do? You'd be a bit frustrated, wouldn't you? You know that they can't solve it themselves, but they could be able to see clearly if only they would go and help seek help from outside themselves. They could see clearly. What we're going to see is that people right here in the book of Acts had a sight problem, and the Apostle, uh, Apostle Peter is about to give them a little eye operation. Have a look with me. We're going to read Acts chapter 2, verses 36 and 37. Therefore, let all Israel be assured of this. God has made this Jesus, whom you crucified, both Lord and Messiah, When the people heard this, they were cut to the heart and said to Peter and the other apostles, Brothers, what shall we do? What has happened is the Holy Spirit has come. The early church has started speaking in tongues. A whole bunch of people have gathered together. And Peter goes, you know what? I'm going to preach a sermon today that will help you see clearly what's going on. And he didn't say, Jesus might be an interesting life choice for you. He didn't say that. He said, God has made this Jesus Lord and Messiah. Jesus is the king of the universe and the king of the Jews. That is what's going on. And he said he's made it that because you crucified him. That was a pretty heavy thing to say, wasn't it? You crucified him. And so Peter is unashamed to proclaim the cross and the Christ to the people in, uh, in Jerusalem at this point in time. And I think we need to be aware that in order to have the outcome that we see, you need to speak the message clearly. What, what happened? Well, we saw it in verse 37 there. They cried out, brothers, what shall we do? They were cut to the heart. And so we see when we proclaim Jesus clearly, the outcome is cutting conviction. These people went, we are lost. We crucified the king of the universe and the Messiah. We're in big trouble. Do we preach a message of Jesus that's so clear, people go, we killed Jesus. We killed Jesus. Do we feel the weight of that? What is the outcome? Well, Peter relieves their distress. They say, what shall we do? Have a look at what he says in verses 38 and following. Peter replied, repent and be baptized every one of you in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins. And you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. The promise is for you and your children and for all who are far off, for all whom the Lord our God will call. So what's the right response? You hear that you've killed Jesus, what should you do? Well, you should repent. It's not okay to keep going. Turn around and come back to God. Repentance is the right response. We're going to preach for repentance. He says, repent and be baptized. 
get washed clean in baptism. Repent and be baptized is what he says. But he goes on, because I think maybe, I don't know, I I love reading the book of Acts and thinking, what really actually happened? Because I think this is the best sermon ever. He says, you crucified the Lord of glory and they go, what shall we do? And he says, repent and be baptized and they get saved. But I want you to see there's actually more information here. Have a look with me at verses 40 and 41. With many other words, he warned them and pleaded with them, save yourselves from this corrupt generation. Those who accepted his message were baptized and about 3,000 were added to their number that day. Now that still sounds pretty awesome, doesn't it? But the bit I want you to see is he persisted in pleading with them. He pleaded with them to save themselves from this corrupt generation. And then we see that there was fruit, but it actually probably wasn't everyone. Can you see there in verse 41 it says, those who accepted his message were baptized. I think I probably in my mind figure everyone who was listening to Paul uh, to, um, to uh, Peter suddenly went, oh, we've got to be saved. And so they all got baptized en masse, maybe a big fire height. No, no. But it wasn't like that. Only some of them responded. It happened to be that God was very generous and 3,000 of them responded, which is not a bad way to start your church. Not a bad way to start your church. So there was fruit, but it wasn't the full number of everyone who was listening. So what what brings the growth? Well, here's what brings the growth giving the message of new life in Jesus. That's what we say over here on our, on, our, um, on our banner there. What are we about? We're about giving the message of new life in Jesus. Who knew that that was the way that the church should grow? Everyone. It's the same as it ever was. Of course we need to keep preaching Jesus Christ, crucified and, uh, and Lord. And so we preach Jesus because he's the way that the church grows. And do you know what? We've been doing that for a little while here at New Life. I love this picture. Uh, we do it with kids and we do it with adults And we see, little by little, God graciously calling people from darkness to life. How good is that? Super encouraging. What are the joys of growth? What I want to do uh, tonight as we look at um, Acts chapter 2 is to see this beautiful start to the church. And I want us to do it with our eyes wide open to see the joys and possibly the challenges as well. So what are the joys? In order to get to that, I want to talk to you for a second about this guy here. His name is Dan McLaughlin, and he was a professional photographer, which is a pretty good job, I would think. Anyway, he got to the point where he said, look, I'm pretty tired of being a photographer. I could do anything in my life. And he'd just been reading a book that said, you can do anything for 10,000 hours, and you'll become a master at it. Do anything for 10,000 hours, and you'll become a master at it. And he went, all right, well, I'm pretty bored with photography. I know what I'm going to do. I'm going to spend 10,000 hours hitting golf balls until I become a pro. And so... He started a website, called it The Dan Plan, nice, catchy, wrote a little blog, started keeping his stats, and started practicing his golf. He did it every single day. And he would keep track of his hours, and he'd write his blog, and he became quite famous, and his handicap dropped down and down and down and down, until I think it was uh, 3.6 or 2.6, something like that, something that like only 4% of golfers ever get to. So, great improvement from nothing. And then he hit an awesome drive at 6,003 hours and his back gave out. And he hasn't hit a golf ball since because he can't. He's in excruciating pain. But this is a picture, not necessarily of faith. What I wanted you to see was, okay, it worked out badly for him, but he was devoted. 
He was devoted, right? What does devotion look like? Devotion looks like playing all day golf and doing it again and again and again. That's devotion. Now, it didn't play out very well for Dan McLaughlin, but I want to show you a devotion that will reward you. Have a look with me in the passage here, and we'll see what the early church did that was saved uh, on that day. It says in verse 42, they devoted themselves, devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and to prayer. Everyone was filled with awe and many wonders and signs performed by the apostles. So what did they do? There was four things that they focused on. They focused on the apostles' teaching, they focused on the fellowship, that's spending time together, and they focused on the breaking of bread and prayer. It's probable that the breaking of bread, because it's called the breaking of bread, was probably remembering what Jesus had given his disciples on the Lord's Supper. So they broke bread intentionally remembering Jesus, and then they probably had a meal. Tonight, we're going to break some bread together. It's actually been cut up, but we're going to do that, right? It's going to be a, a little token meal to remind us of what Jesus has done. I think they broke bread and then they had a full meal, okay? And we've got supper to come, so that's not, that's not too bad. When it says that they were devoted to the apostles' teaching, they figured out that the apostles had hung out with Jesus and they were passing on what Jesus had taught them. Now, did you know that the apostles wrote down what they learned? Isn't that awesome? How great. The apostles wrote down what they learned. And you can take a little course with the apostles in what they learned about Jesus by reading. I'm making fun of it, but isn't that amazing? We actually have the words of the apostles from the teaching of Jesus captured for us. Would you like to know what Jesus said? Absolutely. You can get to know God in the word. And so they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching. We can do that. They devoted themselves to the fellowship. We can do that. They devoted themselves to the breaking of bread. We can do that. And they devoted themselves to daily prayer, which you'll be unsurprised to know we can do. You've picked the pattern. Everyone, it says, was filled with awe at the many wonders and signs performed by the apostles. All the believers were together and had everything in common. They sold their property and possessions to give to anyone who had need. Every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes and ate with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. Now, does that sound like a good church? Yep, that sounds like an awesome church to me. It was a church that loved the least. They gave money to everyone as they had need. That's pretty good. So uh, imagine here if we were honest enough to say, hey church, are there any needs in our meeting tonight? And we were trusting enough to believe that if someone told us, it, they were real needs. So someone stands up and says, yep, I'm, I'm a little bit behind my car payment this week because I have a, a sick mother and I had to look after her, and so I'm not going to be able to make it. And we say, well, guys, girls, can we solve that for this person? Imagine if we did that. Imagine if we used our resources to help us as a body because we cared about each other enough and because we were transparent enough to let people know we actually had needs. That's the challenge, isn't it? Oh, no, I'm good. I'm perfect. Fine. No problems. How are you? Yeah, good. Good. Yeah, I'm really good. It's very hard to operate like this while we're hiding from each other, isn't it? And so part of the joy of the early church is they were so transparently trusting of one another that they were aware of the needs, and then they were so beautifully generous that they helped one another. 
how glorious. And so they loved the least. It's worth saying it wasn't socialism. What that means is it wasn't that everybody sold everything and so nobody had anything. Okay, So there was only a big pile of money in the middle and they lived in a shack. Do, do, do you, like, I know it's, it's so funny, isn't it? But we, we can push it to the point where we go, nobody owned anything. So everyone stood around a pile of dollars and they distributed as people had need. No, they had homes and they had possessions. And we see that because a, a couple a little bit later called Ananias and Sapphira. Have you heard of them? If you haven't, don't worry, it's a big story. But they brought their money. They sold some of their possessions, brought their money to the apostles, and they said, we have given all this money to you. But they lied and kept some to themselves. They were in trouble, not because they kept some to themselves, but because they lied. It was clear that people still had possessions, but they shared generously and counted everything in common. I think it's worth saying that's a beautiful community, isn't it? Wouldn't we like to be in a church like that? I, I, I think I would. It's, a, uh, it's an amazing picture. So what are the joys of growth? Well, that's part of the joys of growth in the early church. Acts chapter 2 looks like the perfect church. Now, we've seen growth here. What are some of the joys that we've seen? Well, I think seeing any new life begin is beautiful. We've seen some babies born into our church, so that's pretty good. I, I'm a sucker for babies. I think they're amazing. When those new lives come into the world, I'm excited. But we've seen people start with Jesus for the first time. That is always exciting. We've seen new households join us, and some of you here tonight have only done that recently. Some of you have done that over many, many years. We started new relationships, and what that means in practice is I have new friends in this church, and I am deeply grateful to God for that. And I pray that you might know some of those joys yourself. Guess what? When churches grow, same as it ever was. New relationships, new households, new life. Same as it ever was. And we've been doing that here at New Life for, for many years. Uh, this is something that we used to do. Uh, we used to do a thing called Corner Connect Barbecues. And uh, we'd go into a street that had almost had all the houses finished, and we'd set up a barbecue on an empty block of land. We'd door knock the street and say, we would love to help you meet your neighbours. Come out and meet your neighbours around a barbecue that we're putting on. It was really cool. It says in the passage that the early church enjoyed the favour of all the people. And um, it was really one of the really cool things that happened um, early on is that the Oran Park town gave New Life Anglican Church a community service award because they loved the way that we were building our community. That's one of those special stories for me. And so we've seen our church enjoy the favour of all the people. Well, that sounds perfect, doesn't it? Let's be in Acts chapter 2 church. But what I want you to see tonight is Acts chapter 2 wasn't in magic fairyland. Acts chapter 2 church became the church in Acts chapter 6. And I want you to see what happened in Acts chapter 6 because it's real and earthy and it speaks to us. So let's have a look at what happened. Uh, when you travel overseas and you mix with a bunch of people from different nations, it's pretty easy to pick out the Aussies. And when you pick out the Aussies, they're the people speaking with ridiculous uh, accents. And when we meet the Aussies, we're like, hey, Aussies, and oi, 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 and all the rest of that rubbish, right? Okay, so that's what we do. But you know what? The longer that you hang out, so at the start, it's all, hey. But you know what? You put us under pressure. You put us... In, uh, so we're in a foreign country, but you put us under pressure, and all of a sudden the Aussies start going, yeah, where are you from? Okay? And all of a sudden we start thinking, you're a Queenslander, right? We're from New South Wales, we're clearly better. Or we're not from Victoria, you know, Mexico, south of the border there. And we, and we end up 
we end up sort of having these divisions come in where previously there was a unifying principle, Australia, and then under pressure and with enough time, we start splitting out and finding smaller divisions. This is what happened in the church. The unifying principle was Jesus, but they found divisions under pressure and over time. Have a look in uh, chapter 6. So go over to Acts chapter 6. I'm going to have a look at verses 1 to 2. In those days when the number of disciples was increasing, so it's still going well, right? The Hellenistic Jews among them complained against the Hebraic Jews because their widows were being overlooked in the daily distribution of food. So the twelve twelve gathered all the disciples together and said, it would not be right for us to neglect the ministry of the word of God in order to wait on tables. So, So what had happened to the early church? Well, there'd been a split and it came at a time of growth, but also a time of pressure. And we saw that, and Kathy gave us a great introduction to some of the things that have been happening in chapter 5. So they were challenged on multiple fronts. In chapter 5, we see the story of Ananias and Sapphira. There was a challenge of selfishness. In, uh, in chapter 5, we also see the Sanhedrin said, you cannot speak in the name of Jesus anymore. Stop speaking in the name of Jesus. So there's a challenge to not speak. And then we also saw there was a challenge of segregation. And we all know what segregation is because we separate the rubbish from the recycling, don't we? No? Kids, you need to get on that. Don't put the rubbish in the recycling bin. Okay. We know what it is to segregate, to identify things that are different and to send them to different ends. One to recycling and one to rubbish. One's good, one's bad. We know what segregation is. And it's interesting for me that the challenge that came to the early church was at their previous points of strength. They had been a generous church and the challenge turned into one of selfishness. They had been a proclaiming church and the challenge came that you need to be silent. You need to stop speaking. They had been a united church and the challenge came to be segregated to separate out, to notice the differences. It's a sobering warning for us that the church, the first church, the beautiful church, the perfect church, actually ended up having what in practice were racial divisions in the church. That's pretty ugly, isn't it? And why did it happen? Well, the Hellenistic Jews are Jews with a Greek background. Okay, It's funny to call it Helen, Hellenistic. Why is it Helen? It's, it's the way of speaking about the Greek culture. So they were Jews with a Greek background. Hebraic Jews were Jews that were in Israel. Okay? And so what happened was a whole bunch of stuff started to force them apart. Cities of origin, language, culture, and worldview. And so some would say, we speak Greek only. And others would say, we speak Aramaic and Greek. We were educated by the Greeks. We have a Hebraic education. We're from the scattered people of God. We're here. We are the real Israels. Uh, Israelis. We're migrants to Jerusalem because we love God so much. Well, Jerusalem's always been our home. Can you see how these tensions start to happen? And, and, and what it said was that there was somebody who was left out. Who was getting left out? The widows in the daily distribution of food. And, and why was that such an issue? Because the people who had travelled over, from overseas had left their families behind. Who looks after Mama, if she doesn't have a husband around, wider family. So if you've moved, it makes sense that you would be under pressure. Yeah? And so the Hellenistic Jews were getting left out, being made to feel second rate by the Hebraic Jews. 
it's interesting to note that the impact is always on the least. The impact is always on the least. And so we need to think this through very carefully because this perfect church, this beautiful church, ended up being divided along racial lines in a very ugly way. So what was their response to the challenges of growth? Uh, illustration by virtue of um, my son's soccer playing. Uh, when Isaac was littler, how does, how does like five-year-old soccer work? Does everyone know? Everybody has one position. The position is called kick the ball. And a little herd or a little hive kind of falls around the... Do you know, do you know this? One position, kick the ball. That's your position, Okay. What happens over time as you grow up, as you start to understand the game better, is this thing called specialisation, where we actually have forwards and backs and goalkeepers and people who don't always chase the ball, but wait for the ball to come to them, right? So specialisation is the thing, and that's exactly what was the answer for the early church. Have a look with me at, at verses 3 to 6. Brothers and sisters, choose seven men from among you who are known to be full of the Spirit and wisdom. We will turn this responsibility over to them. And we'll give our attention to prayer and the ministry of the word. This proposal pleased the whole group, and they chose Stephen, a man full of faith and the Holy Spirit, also Philip, Prochorus, Nicanor, Timon, Parmenas, Nicholas from Antioch, a convert to Judaism. They presented these men to the apostles who prayed and laid their hands on them. So what was the answer? Let's get some people and make this responsibility their responsibility. They'll oversee the distribution of food. And so they turned responsibility over to them in order to make sure that they could give their attention to prayer and the ministry of the word. And I said, uh, I said this morning, it's interesting if you listen to all ministers, when they say, what's your job? Word and prayer. And the challenge in this passage for ministers is, what's the order? Prayer and the word. Can you see that? We'll give ourselves to prayer and the ministry of the word. Anyway, catch us every time we say it around the other way, okay? But what was the solution? The solution was they needed to focus on what they were there to do and delegate responsibility to others. They were also told that they needed to be quiet and to stop speaking about Jesus. What was their solution to that? The apostles left the Sanhedrin, we're told in chapter 5, rejoicing because they'd been counted worthy of suffering disgrace for the name. Just quietly, just quietly. That's crazy. They have flesh hanging off their back from when they were flogged. And they walk out rejoicing that they've been counted worthy of suffering for the name of Jesus. That's incredible. So what did they do? Day after day in the temple courts and from house to house, they never stopped teaching and proclaiming the good news that Jesus is the Messiah. So what did they do? They rejoiced and they redoubled their efforts to speak clearly about Jesus. How brilliant. Well, what are the challenges of growth that we experience here at New Life 2,000 years later? Some of the challenges are this. Change is hard. Change is hard. Some of you like change. For others, the couches are in the wrong place out there. Save me. And tonight, we're going to have supper out there and not in here on the carpet. Oh, the carpet bit's just my thing, don't worry about that. But we're going, to have, we're, going to have, we're going to have supper out there. That's a change. And you might think, but that's not what we do. Change, change is hard, okay? Change is hard. Um, continual change can get tiring. So we're in a church which changes the thing. That's what we do. And so continual change can get tiring. Uh, we will be stretched. So we'll be stretched as we double our music ministry, double our kids' ministry in the morning. And we're probably stretched here at night because people have been serving very generously here 
and they'll have to serve in the morning. So we'll be stretched as a church. And we know that it's the best thing, but it's not the easiest thing to keep growing. I just want to encourage you guys, change is hard. Same as it ever was. There's no church that grew and everyone went, this is easy. It's always hard. And we saw it be hard in the early church. The wonderful thing is, uh, when we started off, our church was pretty white and Anglo. I am loving that our church is increasingly becoming more and more like Oran Park. And we're seeing that happen. And the challenge then is, will we embrace the diversity of our church? Will we look at it and rejoice that God is making us more and more like the suburb around us? So how can we respond to the challenges of growth? Uh, We have uh, this set of values over here. We talk about it being a church that is faithful, adventurous, compassionate, and enduring. And I want to give you some quick points as we think about how to apply tonight's sermon. On being faithful, I want to encourage us to keep meeting together. They met daily. I think that's a bit of a stretch. But it's pretty good if we could do it. Keep on meeting together and practice daily devotion. They devoted themselves to prayer and to the reading of the word. You can read the word of God each day. Did you know that? No one's going to tax you. In fact, it's totally free. And so let's do that more and more. We want to be faithful. We want to be adventurous. We want to continue to boldly share our life and faith. And, and the amazing thing is, I was just reading about in India, uh, uh, in, a pro, in, a, in a little province in India, it's a name that I couldn't pronounce and so I didn't try to. Uh, they've just said that you can't convert anyone in the, in the whole of the state. You can't convert anyone. So you can't speak to someone who's, say, a Hindu about Jesus or you'll go to jail. Now, brothers and sisters, is that our situation here? And so because of the amazing freedom we have, you and I always talk to our friends about Jesus, yes? No. Anyway, I just want to say to you, church, one day we will look at the freedom that we have right now. And we will regret that we didn't use it well unless we do. Boldly share your life and faith. And we want to let the kingdom shape how we deploy our life and finances. Wouldn't it be great if our church was a church that used the finances and resources that we have to meet our needs together? That would be adventurous, wouldn't it? What about being compassionate? We need to show Jesus' love to the least right here. Who are the people who are the least in our gathering and are we loving them? Are we caring for them? And my thing would be to look out for those who might be left out. Look out for those who might be left out. How will you know the people who are left out? Does anyone know? How will you know the people who are left out? It's really hard to see them. Why is it hard to see them? Because they're standing behind you on their own while you're in a circle of people that you're looking at and chatting with. We need to look out for the people who might be left out. That's got to be the nature of our church. And that is an effort every time because when I'm talking with my mate Ian, I've got 17 things I need to ask Ian because I haven't seen him for a little while. But there's someone standing here who might be their first night and do I notice them and do I care? And I want to say to you, unless we do, there is nothing distinctively Christian about our church. Do you hear the weight of that? Because the world talks to its friends. The world will love those who are like them. If we're going to be distinctively Christian, we will love and care across cultural boundaries, across language boundaries, and beyond what is personally comfortable for me. We will show we love Jesus 
by loving the least. And guess what? There's a practical exam. Do you know when the practical exam is? Tonight, have a supper. Isn't that great? So don't worry if you forget about this. I'll be marking you all later. It'll be fantastic. I was really struck by this. The early church opened its table. It ate together. They met daily and broke bread together. And I want to say to those who own houses, hide those of you who don't own houses, just get into your mum and dad, okay? But here's the thing. Who do you have at your house who isn't friends and family? Do we have anyone in our house because of the name of Jesus and the fellowship that we enjoy? That's a beautiful challenge, isn't it? Enduring, we want to keep running this race to the end. As we do all of this transition stuff in the life of our church, I want us to keep looking out for those who might be stumbling in our time of transition. And I want us to keep a thankful and rejoicing heart because that's where enduring happens. God, you're still being good in the midst of our hardship. There's one for me too. This is my own application, so I'll be marking you, you can mark me. My job from looking at the passage tonight, I think, is to delegate and empower ministry. I need to do that more and more. And I need to focus with the other staff uh, members here tonight to work hard at prayer and word work. Well, apparently our church is growing and we're responding to the growth, particularly in the morning, by splitting our church into two parts. And tonight we are rejoicing that our church is growing by having a first-year party uh, for New Life at night. That is exciting stuff. And I want us to be a church that will continue to welcome the new faces amongst us. Let me pray. Heavenly Father, thank you that you make the church possible. It's Jesus and Jesus alone who has paid the price and formed his bride, the church. Father, may you give us a love and a unity that's centered on Jesus. Give us a fellowship that's bigger than the world and that is acted out day and night in our homes and in our daily lives. We ask this for Jesus' sake. Amen. Awesome. Well, I said we're going to do some, um, uh, some fun stuff. Uh, we're going to have a Q&A. Uh, we'll give you a chance to, um, uh, to an- ask your questions. But as we do that, we're going to pass around. Mary, can I get you to do that? Do you want to do that for me? Great. We're going to pass around. I want you to take off. You guys can do this too. Start at the back if you can. Um, I want you to take a piece of, uh, what's that called? A post-it note. And uh, on your post-it note, as, as we're doing the Q&A, can you write down something that you're thankful for about New Life at Night. Something that you're thankful for at New Life at Night. And what we're going to do is, as we take the Lord's Supper, uh, we are going to come up here. This is going to be so fun and chaotic. I have no idea how this is going to work in practice, but it's really fun. So what we're going to do here is paint in a little thingy. And what I want you to do is to put your finger here on the paint, and then I want you to come and put your fingerprint here. Do you see? around the outside like this, and then write your name next to it. Is that all right? Because what we're going to do is we're going to have this as a little piece of artwork that says, this is New Life at Night. We all own it. You are part of it. This is your church. And what I want you to do is get your um, post-it note. It's probably going to be get, get a bit, bit chaotic, but stick it on the frame here. Is that all right? All around it. You're, I'm thankful. Does that sound okay? Church, am I communicating? Fantastic. I just look forward to the complete chaos that's going to come. It's going to be brilliant. Um, Does anyone have any questions arising from the sermon tonight? Things that you'd like to follow up on, uh, comment on? Do we have a question tonight from, uh, from from the message?
Anyone got a question? Yes, Doug. Ask away. Was it the apostles who had been responsible for the distribution of food and funding to these widows, Hellenistic widows? I think it's a really good question, Doug. It's, it's, it's really close to... When we read the text, I'm not convinced that it was them before. I think what happened is it had been done generally and it had got out of hand and their thing was we could step in and solve it. This is my reading. I don't think, it's, I don't think there's a way to make a decision one way or the other. I think they're thinking we could step in and solve this because we have all the authority. Right? So we could just go, the bread gets cut in half and it goes this way and there we, there we go, we've sorted it. Okay? So I'm not convinced that they were doing it all the time, but they say if we did that, we would neglect the ministry of prayer and the word. So that, that's my take. And so they say, we're not going to do that. We're not going to neglect the word by waiting on tables. We're going to appoint these guys who will do the job with our authority. Does that make sense? Yeah. Follow-up question? Former committee? Former committee. <laughs> Uh, Moses tells us that we should delegate in the Old Testament, so I'm going to go with that. That's good. Yeah, someone else, follow-up question. No? Okay. All right. Thanks, Michael. Can I encourage you, though, I really want you to see the early church with open eyes. They were amazing, but they were profoundly real. They had real flaws, and that helps me to know it really happened and reminds me that there will be challenges for us as well. 